Welcome to another exciting week here on Brit David Podcast, as Pastor Tim brings us a message today entitled, Learning from the Loaves, from Mark chapter 6, verses 34 through 52. There may not be a more desperate feeling than the combination of being scared and powerless. The disciples found themselves in that condition in the middle of a storm at sea. Yes, Jesus came to their rescue, but the truth is that he had already prepared them to face that storm with faith through what he had done by feeding the 5,000. The Bible says they had not understood about the loaves, but you can, you can learn from the loaves. Here's Pastor Tim. Amen. You can be seated. Several weeks ago when I knew that we would be in the Gospel of Mark today, I had no doubt as to where I wanted to take you in this particular gospel. It's an incredible passage, at least it has been for me and in for my life. There have been times specifically where I have needed this passage, I've needed God's direction. Frankly, there have been times where I've known what I'm supposed to do and just didn't want to do it. I know you hadn't been there, but I've been there. And I needed God to take me to this passage, and I want to take it to you. I want to take you to it today. It's Mark chapter number six. It's where we are, and sort of towards the end of that chapter, you find one of the miracles of Jesus that even little boys and girls are familiar with when Jesus walked on the water. Mark tells it a little bit differently than some of the other gospel writers do. He is He is very swift in what he writes and in what he says. In fact, you'll find that he begins this passage with, I think, what Mark's favorite word is, immediately. (laughs) Immediately something happens. And so he tells us this story in the shortest of all versions. Let's go through it. Beginning in verse number 4. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go. Go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he sent the multitude away. And when he had sent them away, he departed to the mountain to pray. Now when evening came, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land. 
Then Jesus saw them straining at rowing, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, Jesus came to them walking on the sea and would have passed them by. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it was a ghost and cried out. For they all saw him and were troubled. And immediately he talked with them and said to them, Be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. Then he went up in the boat to them and the wind ceased. And they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure. And they marveled. When we get through this particular story, maybe you come to verse number 51 and say, well, that's a, that's a natural reaction for them to be amazed, for them to marvel at what they've seen. I mean, who sees a storm still the way that Jesus has done that? Who sees Jesus come walking on the water and get right into the boat with you? I'm not surprised at all that they are uh, amazed in themselves beyond measure and marveling. I want you to know that that is not a compliment. It's not a compliment to the way that they have reacted in this particular story. In fact, that has been their reaction several times in this gospel and in others. In fact, back in the very first chapter of this book, the, the story is told of Jesus casting demons out of a synagogue. And the Bible says this, Then they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? What new doctrine is this? They didn't know whether to believe their eyes. They didn't know whether to believe their minds. They didn't know whether to believe what they had always been taught. They didn't know what to believe. They were just amazed and marveled. In the second chapter of this book, Jesus heals the paralytic that is brought to him, carried by four friends. You remember that story? When Jesus healed that man, the Bible says all were amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. Again, it's their same kind of reaction. In the fifth chapter, There's a demon-possessed man who's been living among the tombs. And Jesus cleanses him from that demon. Prior to that, when the man approaches Jesus, the demon inside of him says, you know, what have you to do with me? And the Bible says, after Jesus healed this man, the Bible says, and he departed and began to proclaim in Decapolis all that Jesus had done for him. And they all marveled at what Jesus was able to do. There's one more here in that fifth chapter. Jesus raises Jairus' dead daughter. And the Bible says that they were all overcome with great amazement. You see, it's one thing to be able to look and see and say, boy, this is amazing. This is marvelous. This is wonderful what Jesus has done. But to still keep it at arm's length. To still be able to say, I know that God is omnipotent. I know that God can do anything. I've heard this story and I've heard that story. But as long as they remain somebody else's stories, 
you may only view them with amazement and not worship and not obedience. And that's what he's after. He's not out to do a trick that your mind might be blown. He's out to show you His divinity that you might worship Him and glorify Him through your life through great obedience. In every one of those examples that I gave you, in this example that we see in this story, every one of them have two things in common. In both cases, the people were afraid and the people were powerless. In every one of those cases, you ever have those situations? That's exactly how you feel? Scared and powerless. It doesn't take a bad diagnosis to get to that point, but it'll get you there. You don't have to have a child to run away or rebel. But it'll get you there. You don't have to lose your job. But it'll get you there. There's so many things in this world that prey on our spirits. To bring us to a point to where we are scared and powerless and we know it. And so we lay down simply to those things. It's not what Jesus has in mind, and it's not what He has in mind for His disciples. In fact, I want to go back through this story one more time, and just let's just point out those problematic points in this story. Ready? Read it through this way. Immediately. Jesus made His disciples... Get into the boat. Don't miss that phrase. Jesus made His disciples get into the boat and go before Him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while He sent the multitude away. And when He'd sent them away, He departed to the mountain to pray. Can I remind you of this? The disciples were in the will of God. And still the storm came. Jesus made them get into the boat. They were exactly where they were supposed to be. And they were doing exactly what Jesus told them to do. Right in the middle of God's will, the storm still comes. Does Jesus not know? Did Jesus knowingly send them into a storm? Yes. For some reason, we think that we are immune to life's problems because we belong to the Lord. The Bible says that it rains on the just and on the unjust. And sometimes it's not just a thunderstorm, it's a show enough storm. It's a wildfire. It's a hurricane. It's a tornado. And you don't know where it came from because all you were doing was being obedient to the Lord. 
so are they. I got more to say to you about that in just a minute. Let's keep going. Oh, by the way, I forgot to tell you this. <laughs> What's Jesus doing the whole time? He's praying. He is praying for them. I, I, think about, I think about Jesus talking to Peter and saying, Peter, Satan has asked for you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you. Where is Jesus? Sometimes we like to say, well, he's in my heart. He's not, is he? The Holy Spirit resides within you. But where is Jesus? The Bible says that he is seated at the right hand of the throne of the Father. And what's he doing? Sitting there with his feet kicked up, eating popcorn, <laughs> watching life go on down here below us, lightning bolt maybe in his hand that he might get you in case you mess up. What's he doing? The Bible says always, always making intercession for us. He is praying for you in your times of temptation. He is praying for you in your times of trouble. He is praying for you in your times of trial. I mean, it's wonderful when I hear somebody say, Tim, I've been praying for you. Man, there ain't nothing better to hear than that. Except when I hear that Jesus has been praying for me. That's even better, isn't it? All right, now let's keep going. Pick it up. When the evening came, the boat was in the middle of the sea. Jesus is alone on the land. And here's your first problem. It says, then Jesus saw them straining at rowing. Maybe you want to mark that in your Bible somewhere. They were straining at rowing, for the wind was against them. It says the fourth watch of the night, and Jesus comes to them walking on the sea and would have passed them by. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it was a ghost. And they cried out, verse number 50, here's you something else to mark. For they all saw him and were troubled. They're straining at rowing. That's powerlessness. They are troubled. That's fear. The very things that we acknowledge that are true in our lives are true in their lives. I want you to pay specific attention today to what Jesus says to them. This was what I needed to hear. This is what I've needed to hear this week. This is what some of you need to hear. Some of you who are going through storms, who even though you sense that you're still in the middle of God's will, bad things still seem to be happening. Look at what Jesus says at the end of verse number 50. Be of good cheer. It means, it means to take courage. Take heart. It doesn't mean cheers clink your glasses. That, that's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about be happy. He says, take courage inside of you. Make your heart a stalwart among the things that are happening. Be of good cheer. Take courage. It is I. 
do not be afraid. What gets you through the times of being scared and powerless? It is the presence of God. To know that He has not left you. He has not forsaken you. In the midst of those kinds of times, we feel like everybody has forsaken us. And He never has. It is I. Do not be afraid. I want you to look at the verse after the verse where we left off our reading just a moment ago. Would you look at verse 52? Verse 52 says, For they had not understood about the loaves, for their heart was hardened. Remember I told you it wasn't a compliment that they were amazed beyond me- amazed in themselves beyond measure and marveled. That was not a compliment to them. And the reason is this. They didn't understand about the loaves. You say, what in the world? <laughs> what in the world is he talking about? The loaves. The miracle that precedes this one is the feeding of the 5,000. The only miracle that's told in all four of the Gospels. There are lessons in that feeding of the 5,000 that will prepare you for life. There was something that Jesus did and something that they were to learn in the feeding of the 5,000 that would have prepared them for this storm. It's after Jesus feeds the 5,000 that the Bible says immediately. He didn't give them time to forget. (laughs) Immediately, He made them get into the boat and go to the other side, knowing full well that the storm is coming. Why? That they might put into practice what they had just learned. The problem is this. They didn't learn it. They didn't learn it. They missed the lesson of the loaves. And didn't learn and did not have in their toolbox exactly what they needed to face this storm that Jesus was sending them into. Don't be confused. God is going to send you into trouble. He is going to bring circumstances into your life where the only way you have to look is up. And the things that He's done in your life prior to this have prepared you for that. What Jesus did in them was enough to at least teach them two lessons. Same two lessons that some of you need to hear. Number one, stop torturing yourself. Stop torturing yourself. There's a couple of verses in that passage that I told you to mark. Even if you don't mark them with a pencil, at least mark them with your heart. It says that Jesus saw them straining at rowing. Gives you a picture, doesn't it? You can see them in the boat, can't you? Desperate. 
desperately trying to put everything they can into those oars. Some of them being knocked out of position down into the midst of the boat because of the waves. Some of them not being able to get their oar into the water at the right time. Some of them clanking their oars together and not doing what needs to be done. You can see them straining at rowing, can't you? But you still can't see what Mark is trying to tell you. Because our translation of straining or toiling, if you're using your King James Version, does not do this word justice. The word is basanetzo. Basanetzo. This is the only time of like, I think it's 17 times that this word is used in your New Testament. This is the only time that it's, that it's translated as straining. You know what it's translated as most of the time? Torment. Torment. Torture. That verse that I mentioned to you back from Mark chapter 5 a while ago, the guy who's living among the tombs. And I mentioned to you that the, that the demon speaks for the man when he first approaches Jesus. He says, what have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you by God not to torment me before the time. The torment and the torture that this demon is expecting to have for all of eternity. The disciples have put that on themselves. Trying to stay alive. They are torturing themselves. By the way, one of the definitions for bassinetzo is to question by applying torture. Do you remember what happened back in Abu Ghraib, Iraq? where terrorist prisoners were waterboarded, tortured, humiliated, all of those things that came out in the news. That's what this word is. When I torture myself, trying to figure out how I'm going to fix what I'm in, I'm abusing myself. I'm doing damage to myself. Torture myself. And all for no reason. Because the omnipotent one can do for me what I can't do for myself. That's what they should have learned. You want to see it? Go back with me to verse number 34. The Bible says there in Jesus, when He came out, saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion for them because they were like sheep not having a shepherd. So He began to teach them many things 
And when the day was now far spent, his disciples came to him and said, This is a deserted place, and already the hour is late. Send them away that they may go into the surrounding country and villages and buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. The disciples see the problem. It's not, it's not a storm on the sea, this is a storm on the land. They see these, we're told later, 5,000 men. Somebody has said maybe that's as many as 20,000 people that are there. Let's just suppose that. 20,000 people all gathered together hungry with nowhere to get food. There's a riot coming, isn't there? That's what they can imagine. That's what the disciples can imagine. And so they, just like me and you, are trying to figure out the best way to get out of this situation that's coming. They don't go to the Lord and say, God, what would you do? God, what do you want me to do? God, how should I pray? What should I do? How should I act? Who should I be? They don't ask Jesus any of that. They come and they tell Jesus what He ought to do. They share with Jesus what their grand idea is. Send them all home so that they can go get something to eat. We think we're doing God a favor by telling Him what He needs to do for us because it fits into our plans. Look at what Jesus says. Jesus answered them and said, you give them something to eat. <laughs> you know, you just kind of want to be there, right? See their faces. It says, they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii, almost a year's worth of wages, 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? Jesus, we don't, we don't have enough money. How many times have you said that? We don't have enough money. We don't have enough time. We don't have enough resources. We just don't have enough. The disciples are torturing themselves. They are straining at rowing before they ever even hit the beach. Trying to figure out what to do. Whatever circumstance you're in, Jesus already knows that you're in it. And he already knows what he wants to do. And he already knows how he's going to glorify himself in the midst of it. Maybe instead of telling him what to do, why don't you ask him what he wants to do? Maybe you would ask him, why would he put 